Welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host, our special guest and friend, author, Father Brian Malady O.P., St. Thomas Aquinas Rescues Modern Psychology, published proudly by EWTN, naturally available through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. Great to see you once again, Father, uh, even remotely. Yes, I picked up COVID, so that's why we're doing it remotely. Right. Well, we um, hope, you're, hope you're feeling better. Well, I am. But if I dissolve in coughing, you'll know why. Okay. So let me ask um, you, Father, with the, with this particular book, uh, first of all, what is it based on, and uh, why does modern psychology need to be rescued by anybody, let alone Thomas Aquinas? Well, you know, I'm a moral theologian. I'm not really, a, obviously, not a psychiatrist or psychologist. But those things, those disciplines do have something to do with moral theology. And when I was researching moral theology and trying to explain it, I came across the works of Dr. Anna Tarua and Dr. Conrad Bars. Mm -hmm. Dr. Bars is quite famous in this country. Mm -hmm. Anna Tarua, more in Holland, where she lived. And their theories enticed me greatly and it was basically the idea that they were both Freudian psychiatrists. And though they thought the clinical work of Freud was brilliant, they couldn't understand why nobody got healed by the therapy. Mm -hmm. And so the, in thinking about it, Dr. Tarua was encouraged to write a thesis in Holland by a redemptorist at the time, and this is around 1959, where she compared Freud's ideas to Thomas Aquinas's okay. concerning the soul. Mm -hmm. Their issue was the soul is not correct in mm -hmm. Freud. Because it, obviously Freud left out the intellectual part of the soul. And in fact, a cornerstone almost of modern psychology is that it's a reason that is the enemy of the emotions. And that kind of creates a real difficulty in the soul. So in their research, they discovered that to have a realistic therapy and a holistic picture of the whole thing, you must have a realistic idea of the soul, okay. which the Enlightenment and the rationalists of the 19th century following Kant really didn't have. Right. So they tried to seep the intellect again in it and reason in emotional health. And also they were astonished, too, that many of the modern psychiatrists had a tendency to try to discuss emotional health from the standpoint of emotional illness. In other words, hmm. tried to derive normal psychology from abnormal psychology, whereas it should be just the opposite. Right, and you make that point so, in the book, right. Yes, so in researching this, they discovered that the classic neurosis which, of course, today modern psychologists would say they pass beyond. But the classic neurosis, which is obsessive-compulsive or hysterical neurosis, was not based on a conflict between reason and the passions, mm -hmm. but a conflict within the passions themselves, which prevented reason from entering in its proper way. That led them to develop a therapy in which the influence of one of the passions, which was atrophied, would be reduced to allow the passions to again be governed by reason and will, 
-hmm. and they believed they had a lot of success in this. I see. In the midst of this, they also discovered that contemporary West didn't suffer from the classic neurosis. That it's emotional illness, if you wanted to put it that way, wasn't the conflict in the emotions so much as a lack of development of the emotions. And that's because people came from unbalanced families. Mm-hmm. So with the lack of a proper mother and a proper father figure, the passions remained like a thought of a three-year-old mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. been allowed to develop. So they call this a deprivation neurosis. Mm-hmm. And so you might have a CEO of a corporation who would be brilliant at governing a corporation but he didn't have a clue as to how to be a father in his own family. Right. Because he never received parenting properly. Right. And that led them also, and this is what I wrote the book mostly for, to rediscover the importance of Catholic moral teaching in proper emotional development. For example, Dr. Terua was on the minority commission for contraception in 1968. Oh, okay. And she pleaded with Paul VI not to change the church's teaching Mm -hmm. because they had come to believe that contraception was not only morally evil, but it caused emotional illness. Hmm. And we've seen a plethora of, well, Souls and Eatson said the problem of the West is spiritual. This tends to be represented by a great deal of neurotic behavior of people who act. Uh, maybe may adults in, in their job, but they act like three-year-olds in their right. personal relations. So that's those are all the right. reasons why I got into researching the book and the ideas. Right. And I taught them a lot to priests who were grateful to have them for the sake of trying in confession to distinguish between a sin and an emotional difficulty. Right. Now, you write here, in the struggle to find a touchstone between faith and reason, modern psychology is often a very problematic area for Catholics. You talk about the idea that one must be freed from morality was kind of like the general perspective, and that Dr. Bars clearly shows why this was mistaken. Why did they think it had to be separated from morality? Because they identified the superego, if you want to put it that way, or the values imposed on a person's feelings as what we would call reason, morality. So their idea was to experience an emotional health. Mm-hmm. You basically left morality, either left it out of the picture or freed a person from morality. For example, when it came to sexuality, the way to resolve an issue in sexuality was to tell people they could commit sexual sin. Mm-hmm. And, it, and that would somehow resolve the issue, I really... Uh, those of us who grew up in the 60s were very familiar with a lot of these ideas. Right, right. And it, it didn't heal anybody. So the pre- premise of Dr. Bars is that you free them from a mistaken idea of morality for morality in mm-hmm. a proper sense. And that helps you to experience emotional integration where the, uh, the two, there are two appetites, according mm-hmm. to St. Thomas, in the passions he takes us from Aristotle, one of which enjoys the good as such, the other of which has to do with you usefully attaining it. So in traditional psychology, 
you would love something, then if something threatens you getting it or was difficult to get, then the passions of usefulness entered, and then they would end and again in the passions of love, like mm-hmm. joy, for instance. Mm-hmm. But in modern psychology, it's the passions of usefulness that come in first, and that's how you judge something as good or evil, whether it's useful to me or not. Right. So the good of a child, you wouldn't say there was any objective good to a child. You'd ask, how does it fit into my life? And when they say things like, no child but a wanted child, what they mean is no child but one that fits into my life, and that right. kind of child right. I should have, and other children I should just reject, because it might possibly interrupt my life. Now, right. as a result, everything becomes utilitarian, and that's true of morals as well. Right. Now, that's not Catholic morals. Now, was it, uh, was it Dr. Barsh who actually was at Buchenwald? Is that true? Yes, he held Allied pliers to escape during World War II, mm-hmm. and the Nazis discovered him. He was a student at the time, and they put him in Buchenwald for three years. He survived it, and he said a thousand people went to the concentration camp with him. Mm-hmm. Only two survived, mm-hmm. and the concentration camp caught him two things. First of all, that the anger at his captors was so great that it kept his adrenaline alive so he didn't die, mm-hmm. and, but, but it was an anger he'd never express openly. So he has a marvelous um, piece on anger where he distinguishes between the feeling, which is proper and normal, mm-hmm. and its expression, which ne- isn't necessarily. And the other is that he, as he says himself, uh, Buchenwald is a privilege, uh, even though it was a hard, bitter experience. Right. Because he learned there, he could not live without God. The right. life without God had no meaning. Right. You talk about that. You basically have to acquire a supernatural point of view, basically about everything you're dealing with in life. He goes on to say, I believe it was him or the priest, but uh, when life was sweet and carefree, I had valued money, for example, because I thought it would buy me happiness. It could not, because I thought it could buy me happiness. But however, it could not buy me freedom. Right. That was him. The right. priest is the one that said, when you speak of the uh, privilege of having come out right. of Buchenwald alive, you should have be considered a greater privilege to be sent there. And this without the first was a greater privilege. And you, this sounds insane, really. Right. But right. if you acquire a supernatural point of view, you realize that uh, in the concentration camp, you're left with the most important values. And that for him would be God. And he says, Buchenwald was a hard and bitter experience, but it was an advantage to those who knew how to profit from it. And he also says in there that, um, why does God permit wars and concentration camps? He said, the answer is simple, because he loves us. Mm -hmm. And because he wants to bring back to his fold those who otherwise in a life of pleasure and lusts would have been lost. Now, you say the overarching uh, theme of this book is that self-restraining love, which is the cornerstone of both Aristotelian and Thomistic morals, is the key to a recovery of all human healings of the spirit. Now, self-restraining, that doesn't really play too well in our modern society. No, it doesn't, but that's why our modern society is in such big trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we're basically um, willing the family out of existence 
and now the Roe versus Wade is down, people don't want to have children. They hate children, a lot of people. Oh, they'll pay lip service to the fact that politically they want to support children, but they don't like children and they don't know how to be parents. So that's the family, which is the cornerstone of all morals, is in deep, serious trouble. And I seriously doubt there's anyone on any side of the political spectrum who really questioned that today. Also, another thing that's been greatly undervalued is fatherhood. Mm-hmm. And this is extremely important to the proper development of emotions in family. And that's practically non-existent. And the restraint in sexuality is practically non-existent. And yet it's from that that you learn the, uh, the, the depth of love and also responsible love. John Paul II wrote a lot about responsible parenthood. And responsible parenthood is uh, what is one of the cornerstones of the whole development, that it ends in both the state and the church in a family, because the family is the primary unit of all society. Right. And that's the one that's mostly under attack today, isn't it? Exactly. Right. Yeah, right. Now, you say in the section on normal psychology, you talked about the about abnormal, normal psychology. You said the essence of a healthy upbringing is an attitude on the part of educators that is in fundamental agreement with that of God. How do you know it's in agreement? Because God loves things disinterestedly. He isn't a utilitarian. He creates out of his goodness. And most people, if you ask them why it's good that they exist, They'll say, because they did this and did that and did this and did that, they accomplished stuff. Oh, the reason it's good that we exist is because we're willed at the hands of a loving creator. And the reason we're willed at those hands is to enjoy his goodness. And when I was a boy, remember when the catechism, the second question was, why did God make me? And the answer was, God made me to show forth his goodness and to make me happy with him in heaven, which is the reason we have children because we want to share our goodness. People mm-hmm. call me on the Alvin line and say, is it worth it to have a child today? Right. And I said, well, of course, they can go to heaven. <laughs> I mean, what would you want other than that, you know? Mm-hmm. And they have no concept of that. I mean, because all they judge things by is materialism. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with materialism up to a point, right. but it has to be put in its proper place. And the problem with modern psychology right is it tends to put the cart before the horse. That's one of the Yeah, you kind of talk about uh, spirituality on its own versus material on its own when it really needs to be together. Right. Right, right. put together. Now, you also say, uh, following up on that idea about the restraining love, you got a point that this is the way it should be. However, our experience of human nature is quite different. If we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we are all born in this world with a fantastic, powerful desire to take grasp, to get from one another, and try to fulfill our desires. That's because of original sin. Right. It's not the way originally we were created. Right. And that's seen in business. Corporations, uh, I'm coming to realize, are really nasty places today. Mm-hmm. And you wonder how they get anything done because they're so busy trying to put the other out that they forget what they're here for, you know, which is to provide a good or a service for people. Right. And even to the point where you have contractors to the cheat on buildings 
that people are going to live in that will fall down and kill them. Right. I mean, before well, this has always been around. Right. But it's right. somehow justified today by studies and things like that. And well, then there's that book uh, that I was dealing with mm -hmm. in uh, when I taught Catholic high school in the late 70s. Which you talk about in the book, too. You talk about some of your experiences. Yeah, guideline, right. Guidelines to Human Sexuality that even justified bestiality. Mm -hmm. And these were on the point part of Catholic priests who were moralists who wrote this book. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's it's incredible. Once you, once you breached the, the dike of contraception right, right. and decided that sexuality had nothing to do with marriage and, and uh, children had nothing to do with sexuality and marriage, What's left? I mean, right. no wonder people have transsexual stuff and everything. Yeah. Right, yeah. Everything's fluid. Two concepts you talk about here, we don't hear a lot of. Uh, one was original sin, which you just uh, ventured out there, which we don't hear a lot of. The other one is sanctifying grace. I haven't heard that since high school. Yeah, well, of course, I wrote the book on it for EWTN recently. <laughs> um, yeah, grace builds on nature and does and perfects it. Now, it's possible to live a life of deep grace and still have psychological issues, but it's much easier not to have psychological issues. And family life was the place where you iron this out always before, before you even went to school. I've just been reading, I think there was an article in the Wall Street Journal today that parents expect the school to be the parents. They don't want a right. parent. Well, uh, no, what are they, it's their responsibility. They brought the child into the world and they can't pound it off on the state and they can't pound it off on the school. Whatever we do, like in the parochial mm -hmm. school, for instance, we do supplementary to what the parents want. Right. We don't substitute for them. Absolutely. You also say in here in the section under original Senator power struggle, I'm sorry, uh, you talk about instead of saying it is good that you exist because you come from the hands of a loving creature, creator, I should say, now human beings as a result of originals and have a tendency to say it's good that you exist because you make me feel good. That's the current basis for marriage. And as soon as you don't make me feel good, the marriage ends. That's right. That's right. We're not in love anymore. He doesn't make me feel good. Well, I mean, okay, did you expect the honeymoon to last forever? Right. Uh, there's a certain point where what marriage is about, which is basically losing yourself to another. And it's very painful for us, I think. In the same way in religious life, once people learn they, they've got to rule their life by somebody else's values, mm -hmm. I think it's quite painful for a lot of people to admit that. It was for me, at least. And as I observe, I, I realize it's difficult for others, but that's maturity. Mm -hmm. And uh, the original sin is something that um, doesn't, it, it, it tends more, as Satan does, to absorb the weaker into the stronger self uh, as a kind of self-justification. I don't know if I put the cartoon in the book, but mm -hmm. I, I saw a cartoon in the Los Angeles Times about 20 years ago where the person said, I compete, therefore I am. <laughs> I don't listen, therefore I am. I manipulate, therefore I am. I am, therefore you're not. Mm -hmm. Which was trying to express in a secular terms what right. we're living with. Yeah. Right. In the section on true emotional conflict, 
Freud believed that the true conflict was caused by this superarching experience of what people expected of you versus what you should feel. The problem, therefore, is that the whole purpose of the cure of that part of the human spirit, which has to do with emotional illness, was freedom from the law. In Catholicism, we don't believe this. We believe the passions have a natural connection to obedience of reason and will, and you'll find that teaching in the catechism. Right. And therefore, we're trying to, a person who has emotional illness has a conflict that doesn't allow a part of their passions to be properly governed by the law. So what we're trying to, for example, if you're afraid of sexuality, everybody has, um, you know, in, in the uh, sexual urge as a teenager, a natural tendency mm-hmm. toward enjoying the other. But if you're afraid of it because you think it's going to lead you to sin, fear enters in and almost buries it alive and refuses to allow it into the character. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not maturity because it can't be integrated into the higher self. So we're not sublimating things. What we're doing is uh, elevating them to be felt in a human way. So the fear has to be reduced enough to allow the natural growth of the emotions to enter into the theater of the guidance of our reason again. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is freeing people for a proper interpretation of the law. Remember, Kant interpreted law as an imposition on the outside upon you for everything. So that would would be no natural law, for instance. Mm -hmm. Whereas what we're trying to do is receipt the idea of the natural law, that it's something in you that needs to be respected. And unless reason guides your passions, Mm -hmm. they can't become fully mature and therefore integrated. In this section under passion versus responsibility, what is the proper procedures to help someone heal from this conflict? Tell them untruths, tell them to practice illicit sexual conduct in order to solve their problems? No, that is false. Should we tell them falsehoods about the Catholic doctrine? No, that is false. But that seems to be, nobody wants to hurt anybody's feelings these days. Right, right. right. Um, I've known priests that tell teenagers that there's nothing wrong with masturbation. Well, they may not be fully responsible. That's another issue. But it's not a good, that's for sure. And uh, also there are people who say, well, we don't believe in any of that stuff anymore. We just have, what, a cardinal say that we need to change our teaching on homosexuality mm-hmm. as being intrinsically evil. That's a lie. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I know so many times in confession where people will come to me and tell them a priest told them this, and it was either uh, uh, what you do is doesn't matter, or we don't believe that you need to change that. Well, that doesn't help mm-hmm. because it's not what human nature is, you know. Now, of course, there may be a way you say it, and you may have to take into account the age and the maturity of the person you're saying it to, but you have to tell the truth. Also, what I thought was interesting here. You talk about, and it comes up several times in the book in the therapeutic aspect is the necessity of trust. Why is trust so important? Well, Dr. Bars says that for most people, they have a, this, the problem with at least the old obsessive compulsive neurosis is the fear. And if they don't trust you, the fear continues. And what you're trying to do is get the fear to slowly lessen so that the good can come in. Now that involves both an emotional trust that you care 
and also an intellectual trust that you're telling them the truth. So if a person's a devout Catholic, for instance, and you tell them, well, none of that matters, don't pay any attention to mm -hmm. it. Well, they're not necessarily, they may look on it as a justification, but they're not going to believe that because they know it isn't true. <laughs> so you have to have a, you have to always tell the truth. And there's a, again, trust can be uh, emotional, which is more or less what we do with mothers. And then the trust is intellectual with fathers. Right. Neither, and neither. therefore both are necessary. And, I, and what I, my experience was, was that because women have children, they have a natural tendency to, you know, affirm the child in, right. in pre-pubic years. But many fathers become disgusted at their sons because they don't like the way they act when they're mm -hmm. ninth or tenth grade, mm -hmm. and they just leave them. And that's right. not the right attitude. So they're right. spiritually absent. You know? Right. Uh, you don't believe in the Rousseau's approach that you know we need to learn. Uh, let's listen to the children. We hear that many times. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> well, you remember Rousseau also thought that the thinking man was a depraved animal. Mm. So. Uh, he also yeah, thought he, he was, was going he to heaven at education. the end of his life, too. But uh. <laughs> yeah. he wrote a book on education, which is very influential. Mm -hmm. I, I astonished sometimes that these people get away with this kind of stuff. But. Right. And let me ask you, what does it mean to surrender to surrender of self? What does it mean to do that? Uh, surrendering self basically means that you realize that your ego can only be fulfilled by giving yourself. Mm. And all this is very much connected to John Paul II's personalism. A person only finds themselves by a sincere gift of themselves to another, right. uh, and not by taking from another okay. against their will. A lot of this business we have with the priest sexual issues mm -hmm. has to do with trying to take the gift of self from some person who's too immature to resist. I see. Right. Okay. Yeah. Let me ask you, as we're just out of time, uh, any other books in the works, or are you taking it easy? I'm taking it easy at the moment. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> well, you never know, but you're still on open line, and uh, we're always happy to hear, yes. see you here on EWTN, Father. So and we uh, want you to get well. To Thank yes. you so okay. much, Father Brian Milady, OP, St. Thomas Aquinas Rescues, Modern Psychology. We certainly hope so. Uh, published by EWTN Publishing, available through our EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. Check it out from there, and uh, check out all the things we have on EWTN. We'll see you next time. I'm Doug Keck. This has been Book One.